testing. Okay, you can be seated. And I'm glad to see all of you here on a Wednesday night in the dead of summer. I've gotten a lot of phone calls of uh, why people would not be here. Some are working, some are sick, some this, that, and the other. But you're here. And the Lord knew who would be here tonight. And, you know, uh, every time you come to church is an opportunity for God to speak to something to your heart and for your life to be changed. Thank you. Um, I, I love that that song has been going over in my mind all week. I feel better, so much better since I laid my burdens down. And that's what we could do when we come to church. We can lay our burdens down and we can be refreshed in God and get strength for the, the days ahead. The days ahead, because we don't know what lies ahead. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I watch a lot of preachers on YouTube and I've, I've been watching uh, some of these guys that do end time prophecies and things like that. And, uh, you know, it stirs me up in my heart because not that I'm afraid, but it makes me want to do all I can for God while I've still got a chance because I feel like the window of opportunity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Jesus is coming back, and that is his word, and I believe his word. And his, you know, everything that the Bible says for us to look for before the Lord comes has already taken place. These things are happening before our very eyes. And so we come to church and we, we glean from the word of God. The word of God goes forth and it, it gives us the knowledge and the, the encouragement to obey the word. Because without us obeying the word, it's of no use to us. If, the, if you're sick and you go to the doctor and he gives you a remedy and you refuse to do what he asks, well, you can't m very well expect to get well. So we come to church to find out how can I make myself ready? That's the question. And that's the goal for it should be for every one of us. I want to be ready when the Lord comes back. Amen? So last week, I, we started a, a study on forgiveness, which is huge. There's no way to cover that topic in 30 minutes. There's just no way. Um, and I'm not going to recap everything that I said last week. I want to go a different direction. But, do you, you know, the subject of forgiveness, it covers everything from little petty grievances to unthinkable injustice injustice Jesus covered it all when he said in Matthew 18:35 that we talked about last week so my heavenly father also will do to you and he was talking about the the unforgiving servant that wanted to cast somebody into prison after he had been forgiven so much then he wouldn't forgive his fellow man and they said cast him into prison Jesus said so my heavenly father also will do to you 
to each of you, if from his heart, everybody say, from my heart, you do not forgive every offense. Say every, every offense. So if we don't forgive from our heart, every one of our brothers trespasses against us. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us because Jesus knew there would be trespasses, that we would need to forgive somebody and somebody would need to forgive us. We're all shaped by our families. And you at this very moment are shaping yours. We've all heard about family feuds that last for years. There's even been movies made about it. I remember as a kid seeing some some movie on TV that was about a family feud. It was funny, but it's true. Sometimes there are family feuds that last so long that nobody can even remember what the feud was about. But they still hate each other. And can't get along. And then we've heard about generational curses being passed from one generation to the next. Life is all about relationships. And when we get our relationship right with God, then he helps us get our relationship right with all others, beginning where? At home at home with the ones we live with that see us every day. How much we are willing to forgive affects every relationship we have. The foundation for bitterness is relationships. There would be no cause for bitterness if there were no cause for forgiveness. It's through our relationships that we learn to become Christ-like. I wish that would just get stuck in everybody's head. Let's say it together. It's through our relationships that we learn to become Christ-like. And while before I forget it again, Nancy, it's so good to see you at church tonight. This is Sister Joanne's daughter, and we've prayed for her many times, and here she sits tonight, and we're so glad to have you. Unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Do you feel like your prayers are hitting a brick wall? That they don't go past the ceiling? Mark eleven twenty five and 26 says this. This is Jesus talking. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. That your father... Also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Some people think forgiveness is not that big of a deal. We can justify all of our reasons for hanging on to anger and bitterness and resentment. But according to the Word of God, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. If your prayers aren't getting you anywhere... Maybe it's time to do some soul searching. Examine carefully what's in your heart. I I always ask the Lord, I say, cross-examine me. Shine a spotlight on me. 
cross-examine me like lawyers do and see, see if there's anything that I need to repent of or make right. Maybe it's time to make some things right with someone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I forgot to give Brother Matt these um, scriptures, but it's okay. If you, if you don't believe me and you want to look them up later, I'll give you a list of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. This is Paul speaking to the church. He says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't listen to Satan's lies that keep you from doing what's right. Don't be foolish and convince yourself it's too hard. I can't do it. If you're just plain not willing, ask God to help you be willing. Submit yourself in obedience to the word of God and be saved. Don't you understand that being stiff-necked and stubborn will cost you your soul? Is it worth that? One of our key defenses against Satan's attack is being aware of the enemy's continual effort to lead us away from sincere devotion to Christ. So your husband or your wife is not your enemy or your mother-in-law or that, your boss or whoever it is you have contentions with. Our, we have an enemy, but it's not a person. It's the enemy of our soul, and he would love to sow discord in, in our lives and, and keep us at each other and at odds with each other, and that separates us from being in tune with God. So one of the most powerful stories of forgiveness in the Bible is the story of Joseph. So tonight, I'm going to tell you a story. You like stories? Annie loves stories. I had her yesterday, and she likes to hear the same stories over and over and over. So tonight, I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to, it's going to start in Genesis chapter 37. Now, this was one crazy, mixed-up, dysfunctional family that we're fixing to talk about. You think your family's dysfunctional? Wait till you hear about this one. Family feuds, generational curses, sibling rivalry, jealousy, hatred, deceit, you name it. They had it all. So Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, okay? Now, I'm not even going to start to talk about Joseph's parents and grandparents and on down the line because the dysfunction goes way, way back. The deceit, uh, the jealousy, the rivalry, it goes way back. So... He's just repeating what he's learned a lot. And so do, will our kids. So here's Joseph. He's the firstborn of Rachel. Now, Jacob had two wives. He had, he had Leah and Rachel. And that's a whole other story. Um, 
But anyway, there was a lot of problems there. Rachel's the one he loved, but he got tricked into marrying Leah. Y'all probably know that story. But here's Rachel, and for years and years she had no children. Finally, she has Joseph. And uh, he's 17 years old, out tending the flocks with his brothers, all sons of his father's wives. So there were four. There were two wives and then two concubines. He had children by all of them. Okay, this is crazy. So he's out there with all of his brothers, and he goes and he, he tells his dad an evil report about his brothers. He's a tattletale. And um, not only is he a tattletale, um, chapter 37, verse 3 says, Now Israel, which is Jacob's name, Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. So it was just well known. Joseph, Jacob, Israel favored Joseph. That was his pick. Now, I mean, I tried to be fair with my children and not play favorites. But that's not always the case in families. Sometimes there is a favorite, and they know they're the favorite. And the other kids resent them because, or they perceive in their mind somebody's favorite over them. Causes a lot of problems. But Israel loved Joseph, and so he had him a special coat made of many colors. Well, when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him. The Bible says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So not only is Joseph a tattletale, and he's a brat, because he's spoiled, he's the favorite, he's got the coat of many colors that he struts around in. Then he starts having dreams. Ha ha, I dreamed that I was out in the field and, and, uh, and, and, and you're, you all bowed down to me, your corn, your sheaves bowed down to my sheep. And he, oh, this just inflamed his brothers. Well, you think we're gonna bow down to you? Are you crazy? You're younger than us. And the gall. And, oh, they, they, it, this enraged him. And it even upset Israel, the father, because he, he wondered about these dreams. Because even he dreamed that the moon and the stars and everybody was bound down to him. And, and he said, son, he rebuked him. He said, are you saying even your mother and I are going to bow down to you? Boy, you better watch what you say. But in his mind, he was thinking, what is this about? So they hated him. So in the fields one day, Joseph goes out to check on his brothers. And one of them said, well, here comes that dreamer. I know what. We ought to just kill him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So that's pretty, uh, a pretty lot of hate right there that you wouldn't want to kill your own brother. So, Reuben intervenes and he says, I tell you what, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit and, um, you know, and leave him there for a while. Let him stew. Maybe that'll knock some of the soup out of him. 
But in his mind, Reuben was going to come back later and rescue Joseph. And so his brothers sat down to eat their meal. And you've got to understand that later in the scripture, it says that Joseph was pleading and begging for his life. And they sit down to eat lunch. While their brother is in this pit, they took his coat and threw him in this pit. No way for him to get out unless they pulled him out. And, and, and there he is. And they just turn a deaf ear to his cries. So in the meantime, here comes uh, the Ishmaelites, a caravan, um, slave traders. And they, one of them has an idea. Hey, instead of killing him, why don't we sell him? At least we'll get some money for it. And they all agreed. Of course, Reuben wasn't there, the oldest brother. So they pull him out of the pit. They sell him and him begging and pleading for his life. They sell him. And then Reuben returns to find him gone. And he's like, oh, what are we going to do? And they said, well, let's just kill an animal and dip his coat in blood and tell dad that, you know, a wild animal must have killed him. And so Reuben went right along with the lie. Instead of trying to make things right at that point, he just went right along with the lie. And, of course, when they bring the coat to Israel and he sees it, they said, is this your son's coat? Of course, they knew it was, it was and knew that he would know it. And Israel grieves. He, he terribly, terribly grieves for his son. They can't even find his body. You can imagine being a parent, what that would be like. So Joseph was sold in Egypt to a man named Potiphar. And he was captain of the guard in Pharaoh's army. And verse 2 in, in chapter 39 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. And then verse 7 says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a, a while, his master, his master's wife took notice and tried to seduce him. But, of course, he refused. Day after day, she pressed him. Then she caught him alone in the house. She begged him. She grabbed a hold of his coat. When he tried to flee, she literally pulled his coat off of him and he ran. But what did she do? She lied. She began to scream. The servants came running. They had a big story to tell Potiphar when he got home. And Potiphar, I read um, that some commentaries say that Potiphar was actually the executioner for the king. And why he did not have Joseph as executed, it's, uh, it was in God's hands. We don't know why he chose not to kill Joseph, but he threw him in prison. So there he is. Again, he's innocent. Okay, he might have been a brat. He might have been spoiled and a tattletale and all those things. But he's, he's been being severely mistreated. So 
verse 20 says, While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Because, see, Joseph honored God when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him. He said, how can I commit this sin against my master and against God? So we can see that Joseph, I'm sure that he was hurt from what his brothers had done to him, but he still wanted to honor God. So it tells me that he wasn't just eat up with bitterness. Well, everybody's forgotten me. Why should I care? He could have had that attitude, but he didn't. And that, that goes to show us that if we put the truth in our children when they're little, the Bible says when they're old, they will not depart from it. I don't, I don't think that means that they won't ever stray from God, but I think it means they can never get away from what has been put into their hearts and in their minds from the Word of God. The times they've been in a church service and they've felt the presence of God and they've seen God's Spirit moving and manifesting in a, pres- in a service, they can never completely get away from that. So there is Joseph in the prison, but he finds favor with the warden, and he's in charge of everybody. And eventually the cupbearer and the baker have the dreams. You know the story. And Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. He said, I told the cupbearer, you're going to be restored, and the baker, he's going to take your life in three days. It all came true. And Joseph said, please remember me. When you get out of here to the cupbearer, he said, please remember me. I've done nothing wrong to be in this prison. But the cupbearer forgot. Never thought about Joseph. And verse 1 and 41 says, when two full years had passed. So he's in the prison two more years. Pharaoh had a dream. And then the cupbearer remembered Joseph. So they, they, they bring Joseph out of the prison and bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh begins to tell him his dream. And at this point, Joseph is very careful to stress to Pharaoh that only God can interpret dreams. He didn't take any of the credit. He said, only God can do this. And so the dream, the fat cows... And then the lean cows came up out of the river, and the fat cows ate the seven lean cows, and then the corn, the seven healthy corn stalks, and the the bare corn stalk came out of the the ground, and the seven fat ones devoured them. Joseph said, "All that is one dream. There's about to be a famine in the land. It's going to last seven years, and um, it's going to be severe." And we need to start, you need to choose a man to start storing up food. Well, you know, he placed Joseph in charge. So Joseph was in charge of all of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So that's 13 years he's been enslaved. You ever feel like God's forgotten you? Do you ever feel like somebody has done you wrong and it's never going to end? 
you know, and, and sometimes people hurt us, and, and it's a repetitive thing. It's not a just one-time thing. You think you've, you get over one thing, and then it happens again. And, and so, you know, all of these stories in the Bible are for our instruction so we can learn from it. So sometimes it feels like things will never be different. But when you put your life in God's hands, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. It doesn't seem like any good can come out of it. But I can testify to you today that that scripture is true because I've had things in my personal life, things, hurtful things that lasted for years, and I've seen God turn it around, and he's been able to use that for good in my life. And not only that, I have found that it's in the darkest, most difficult times of my life is when God proves himself to me, and I come to know him in a greater measure. So considering that, I'm going to have to say it's worth it. Every trial, every test. So Joseph stored up the food, and then the, when the famine came, he opened the storehouse. Remember, the years of plenty, that was seven years. So it's been 20 years since anybody from Joseph's family has seen or heard from him. That's a, lot, that's a long time, especially when you're a teenager and you go from 17 to 30. <laughs> Can I get an amen? There's some changes that take place, and you look different. So finally, it comes to the point that Israel tells his sons, you've got to go down to Egypt and buy food before we all starve to death. So Israel, out of his 12 sons, Joseph is in Egypt. Benjamin is Joseph's little brother by the same mother. So Israel sends all the ten sons, but he keeps Benjamin at home because he's afraid something's going to happen to Benjamin, and he only had two sons from his favorite wife. <laughs> so he's very protective of Benjamin. So, chapter 42 and verse 6, when Joseph's, brother, Joseph's brothers arrived, guess what they did? They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. You think Joseph thought about that dream then that God had given him years ago? It was like, oh, my word. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life when God does something? And you're, you're in awe. So they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. And it, he had to speak through an interpreter because he didn't want them to know he could even speak their language. He was an Egyptian. Where do you come from, he demanded. We're from the land of Canaan, sir. Uh, we, just, we just came to buy food. You're spies. You've come to spy out the land. And he spoke harshly to them, and he was rough with them. 
And in Genesis chapter 42, starting with verse 8, it says, Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. So he said to them, You're spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers, members of one family. There are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. So Joseph puts him in prison for three days. So you wonder what he's thinking and where he's going with this. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Okay, I'm a God-fearing man, and if you do as I say, you will live. If you're really honest, men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison, and the rest of you go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth, and you will not die. So they agreed. But speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, and we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. You see, they were eat up with guilt. Regret. If only I could go back. Why did I do that? And Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his, his blood. But of course, they didn't know Joseph understood them. For he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. So he, he chose Simeon to throw in prison until they could come back. So he tied him up, threw him in prison. And all the guys leave to go home. And they stop for the night. And one of them opens his sack to get grain for his donkey. And guess what he finds? His money is in the, in the sack. The money that he paid for the grain is in the sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's in my sack. And their, then their hearts sank. Every one of them checked their sack, and their, all of them had their money in their sack. Trembling, they said to each other, What has God done to us? See, they were tormented by guilt. And that's what guilt will do. Guilt will torment you. God doesn't want us to live in guilt. Even if we've committed a horrible sin, when he forgives us, we are forgiven. And that sin is under the blood, and we don't have to carry the guilt anymore. Aren't you thankful for that? So the brothers get home. They run out of food again, and it's time to make the second trip to Egypt. And they tell their father, we can't go back without Benjamin. And he's like, no, you're not taking Benjamin. I don't care what you say, you're not taking Benjamin. But finally, it came to the point that they were all going to starve to death if they didn't go back to Egypt. So he finally relented 
and he let Benjamin go. And when they got there, they Joseph asked about their father, and then he saw Benjamin, his brother, his own mother's son. And he had to run from the room because he was so overcome with emotion. He went to a private room and broke down and wept. Then he washed his face and came back out, and he told him to serve food. He, he had his brothers brought to his house to eat there. Now, when they seated the brothers, they were seated in perfect order from, by their ages, from the oldest to the youngest. And when they realized how they were sat at the table, they looked at each other in astonishment. You know, they don't know what's going on here. So he, ha- he has a meal with them, and um, he still has not revealed himself. And then they get ready to leave again. So Joseph has a plan. He tells his servant, put my silver cup in the youngest boy's sack. Well, you know the story. They get down the road, and then they wait a few hours, and Joseph says, now overtake them and, and bring, bring my, my silver cup back and the one with the silver cup. So there they are. Joseph's servants come riding up, and they said, "Um, how dare you take the master's silver cup? And the brothers were like, God forbid. Why would we do that? We brought you our money that was in our sacks. We brought it back to you again, and we paid for the grain this time. Why would we still? Long story short, they begin to search each sack, starting from the oldest. And guess where the silver cup was? It was in Benjamin's sack. But before they found it, the brothers said, whoever has the silver cup, let him die. Because they, they knew they didn't have it. When they found the cup, the brothers tore their clothes and said, oh my, they loaded up and went back to Egypt. You know, Leah and Rachel's children inherited their mother's rivalry. Just as the two women battled each other for Jacob's love and attention, so also their children lived in rancor with each other, maneuvering to find favor with Jacob. Yet Judah set all that aside as he pleads for Benjamin. So they get there, and Judah offers to take Benjamin's place. So when he did that, Joseph realized there had been a change in his brothers. And he could no longer control himself, so he made himself known to his brothers. Don't you know that was a scene to behold? They said that they could hear him wailing and crying. All of Pharaoh's servants could hear him, even though they weren't in the house. They could hear his cries. And when he told them who he was, His brothers just stood there, terrified, staring at him. And he said, come close to me. And when they did that, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So it wasn't you that sent me here, but God 
He threw his arms around Benjamin and wept, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. So it was obvious that Joseph had totally forgiven his brothers for what they did. He could have done anything he wanted to to them. He had the power. He had the authority. But instead, he let them off the hook without one tinge of resentment. You know, that's what forgiveness is. That forgiveness is when you choose to let somebody off the hook. You don't, you don't become responsible for their punishment. You're willing to, to let it go. And like we learned last week, the Lord said, Vengeance is mine, saith God. I will repay. When you can leave somebody in God's hands and you can let, you're the one that is set free. When you're able to forgive, especially, I mean, you know, some things are not hard to forgive, but some things seem impossible to forgive. And without God helping us, we cannot do it. And you know the rest of the story, how Joseph sins and they bring Israel. Israel, who thought he had lost his son forever, who was afraid to let Benjamin, he said, everything's against me. Why is all this happening? And he didn't know right around the corner was going to be the biggest joy he had ever had, be reunited with a son he thought was dead. So even, even when bad things happen to us at the hands of other people, God can turn it around and use it for good purposes in our lives. And when you're going through it, it you can't see it. You can't see how anything good can come out of that. So the lesson of this story is that dishonorable deeds are not quickly mended nor easily forgotten. Sometimes it takes years to overcome a terrible hurt that's been done to you. But the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus, you know, they say time heals all wounds. Time does not heal wounds. Only God can heal wounds. And and I'm telling you from experience, If and I told you about somebody last week, if you will pray for that person that's hurt you and say, God, help me to forgive this person every offense from my heart. If you pray it enough and you really mean it, one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel that resentment and that bitterness. And you're going to not think of it one day. And then you're going to realize, hey, it's been a week and I haven't. Because, you know, when you're hurt, it's like that's your ever-waking thought. It's a pain you carry constantly. It colors everything that happens to you. And it's like you get stuck and you can't move past it. But when you begin to pray, God, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive every offense from my heart. Then eventually, God, through his supernatural power, begins to release you from that. And, and it can be a process. It's not a quick get down five minutes and it's done. No, not. It's like if, if it's a deep, deep injury and hurt, it may take months to, to work through that. And to come to the place where you feel like you can say, I forgive you. I really forgive you. 
And you don't know freedom until you know that kind of freedom. When you've been in a prison of torment, and then even if you commit a sin that is, you, you, you look back and you think, oh, my God, how did I do that? Why did I do that? And you have so much regret, and you, you can't move past it. And every time you get down to pray, you, you know you've asked the Lord to forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself. God does not want us to carry that guilt around because his blood is powerful enough to cover every one of our sins. He nailed every one of them to the cross, and we can be free today. I can feel so much better when I lay my burdens down. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind Victory today is mine because Satan, he wants to use these things and take advantage of us and drag us down and put a wall between us and God. Don't let him do it. Say, devil, you're a liar. God paid the price for my sins and those that sin against me, and I'm going to leave it in God's hands. And you leave that person at the foot of the cross. Let's stand up and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word that is so powerful. I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us of our sins, God. That were so many, some of us, Lord, have had so many sins, God. And we've had to ask for forgiveness over and over again. But your mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, for the power of the blood that washes away every one of our sins. And I pray, God, that you would help us, God. Help us to become expert reconcilers, reconciling to one another and reconciling people to you, God, because that's the ministry of the Spirit. You had tore down the wall of partition that divided and separated us from you through forgiveness of sins. And help us, oh God, not to put the wall back into place, God, but to keep the forgiveness flowing from one to another another God and help us Lord to live in a spirit of of forgiveness toward one another in Jesus name we thank you for all that you accomplished on Calvary for our sins and God help us Lord to put to live by your family rules help us to look like you to act like you to have your characteristics God in the name of Jesus help us to break loose from the family rules we were raised with and the the dysfunctional habits and 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 self-destructive habits God that we have the traps that we fall into deliver us tonight God help us to become the people of God you would have us to be Lord that we can we can overflow in our neighborhoods and in our families and people can know God that there's a God and he's real and he can accomplish in our lives that that seems impossible and I thank you God for your amazing grace and help us today your people Lord to be all that you said we could be in Jesus name and everybody say amen so your homework your homework is this week examine your heart look deep in there say God show me if there's anything I need to make right with anybody if there's anything body I need to forgive or ask forgiveness from because we want to be we want to be free to love God
and let him do the work that needs to be done through us in Jesus' name. And I love you and thank you for not going to sleep on me tonight. (laughs)